drinking, lusting, and his hunger for power became known to more and more people. The demands to do something about this outrageous man became louder and louder.
Hi, welcome to the weekly review with Roman. Today it's Friday, February 26, 2021. Thanks so much for tuning in. Starting off with some music as per usual. Uh, Daft Punk, who announced they were breaking up with uh, Digital Love, Metric with Breathing Underwater, and then Radiohead with Harry Patch in memory of. I'm going to be playing a few anti-war songs because, uh, as per usual, we live in a stupid imperialistic country that has bombed Syria. It's great that uh, it, when they say, oh, things will get, quote-unquote, back to normal, that's what they mean, unfortunately. <sighs> so we'll be playing some more music uh, with the show. We are broadcasting uh, live from Mutiny Radio. We're here in San Francisco. We're on unceded uh, Ramatouche Ohlone land. For more information, please go to weeklyrev.org and click on our land acknowledgement tab. We have a lot of links there, places you can donate, maps you can look at, as well as a lot more information there. So please do check that out. I'll be going through some news articles today. Yikes, there's a lot. For some reason, I'm feeling a little bit relaxed, despite the fact that there's a lot of terrible things happening in the world. But keep listening, because as always, there are action items. And one way to make things a little bit better, or at least less worse, is to take action. And there are things that anybody can do, regardless of what your abilities are, um, where you're at in the world, um, there's always ways that folks can show up, whether it's donating money, whether it's contacting representatives, whether it's having conversations with people. There are, there's, and there's plenty of things I'm also not even listing or haven't even thought of that are out there in the world. But just uh, there are so many ways to create the world that we want to live in. And even though it's pretty grim, uh, there's also hope. And that's, that's why I'm here, to provide some hope, even though it's a depressing podcast. But that's okay. Because again, uh, the way to get out of it is to move, push through it. Starting off, uh, ooh, I have a whole lot of articles to read, but wanted to share. Just there's a lot of anti-trans bills that are in on the on the House floor right now, and it's awful as a trans person. And if I wasn't trans, I would hope I would be like, this is fucked up. Why are people spending time trying to make lives worse for people instead of better? I don't know. And anyway. Uh, Chase Strangio, you can follow Chase on Twitter at uh, Chase Strangio, has a lot of information. So I'll be reading this thread this, that came out uh, earlier today. Here's what is happening on the anti-trans bills front. Uh, Alabama has advanced criminal health care bans to the floor of both chambers, anti-trans bill to House floor. In Tennessee, they passed a sports ban out of House and Senate committees. South Dakota passed a sports ban in the House. Montana passed a health care and sports bans out of the House, also moving a birth certificate ban. South Carolina is still hearing a sports ban in Senate committee. Mississippi passed a sports ban out of House. Arkansas has passed multiple trans health and sports uh, and sports bans moving. Missouri has multiple sports bans. If there's a hearing next week in North Dakota, they passed trans sports ban out of the House. Georgia has multiple sports and health care bans. Being heard in committee, West Virginia has multiple sports bans moving. Kansas has, a, they had a hearing on a sports ban, and uh, we need to keep up pressure to kill it. And Utah, at least, uh, they killed their health and sports bans. Yay. If you're in any of these states, connect with local organizers and get activated. It is critical. So we've shared this, and we'll also share a link to the thread on our page, weeklyrev.org. Usually by end of day, we'll have links that folks can look at. Also, if you uh, know people in any of these states, please do get the word out so they can contact their representatives because this is bullshit. Okay. Now let's get on to the uh, 
some of the other news stories I had bookmarked as of yesterday. Ah. And let's see. Open these up here. Sometimes I open the show with a bit of a rant, and I don't know what to what to rant about aside from living in a just this nation that uh, there's blood on our hands, there's ongoing war, and people are suffering. Police are still killing people. Uh, folks are without houses and without food, even though there is a surplus of houses and there's a surplus of food. Uh, it's bonkers. That's one word for it. It's bonkers. I'm thinking of a, a Shelley Berman. There was an episode of Night Court, which was one of the few, well, I shouldn't say few shows I liked, because I think I liked a lot of shows, but looking back, a lot of them were super problematic. And I'm sure Night Court definitely had its moments. However, there was an episode with Shelley Berman, and he gives a great speech. And I played it on the show back when he passed away a number of years ago, and I think I'll look for it. But it's about how uh, mentally ill people are treated in this society and how how it doesn't make any sense because given the given how things are and where the priorities are and all of the cruelty that exists how can one be quote unquote sane or however one wants to label it it doesn't make any fucking sense and it's just a beautiful beautifully delivered uh monologue so maybe I'll look for that a little bit later uh lighten things up a bit <laughs> just kidding from San Francisco Public Press, 70 hotels could house the homeless if San Francisco buys. And this is an article from Nuala Bishari. You can find it at public, sfpublicpress.org. And I do believe they also have uh, their own radio show, um, podcasts as well, so you can also listen in. I'll read a little bit here. I'll also post a link on our page. This is from February 18th. More than 70 hotel owners have indicated they are willing to sell their properties to San Francisco, and now is the perfect time to buy some of them, homelessness activists said Wednesday. News broke this month that San Francisco would receive a full reimbursement for its shelter-in-place hotels from the Federal Emergency Management Agency dating back to January 2020. Previously, FEMA funded 75% of the costs. The city has requested $84.4 million in reimbursements from FEMA for 2020, the comptroller's office said in an email. Applying FEMA reimbursements toward hotel purchases offers a relatively quick and simple way to expand San Francisco's stock of permanent supportive housing, advocates say. We want to take advantage of this remarkable and rare opportunity, Sarah Short, Sarah Short Director of Public Policy and Community Outreach at the Community Housing Partnership, which has 17 permanent supportive housing facilities in San Francisco, said at a press event. This chance is not likely to come again. Last year, the city put out a call for hotel owners to respond if they might be amenable to selling their properties. The move came after Governor Gavin Newsom allocated $750 million to Project Home Key, which helps municipalities purchase hotels to convert into housing. The city has not made public the list of 70 hotels, though there are several active listings online. The Minna Hotel on Minna and 6th Streets was recently renovated. It has 72 rooms and is listed for $13.5 million. A few blocks away, the modern 68-room hotel on Eddy Street is on the market for $23.8 million. Last year, the city used Project Home Key funds to purchase the Hotel Granada and the Diva Hotel, adding 362 new units to the city's permanent supportive housing stock. Newsom recently announced that he would dedicate another $750 million to Project Home Key in 2021, and advocates are looking at other funding sources too. 
Advocates and providers have been applying pressure to the city to purchase more hotels for months. Last September, Randy Shaw, executive director of the Tenderloin Housing Clinic, which operates many buildings containing permanent supportive housing, sent 10 hotel listings he'd found to the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. And the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing has a lot of issues. Let's put that mildly. I've pleaded with the Department of Homelessness to secure the hotels while we have maximum bargaining leverage to no avail, he said, noting that, that pandemic-related drops in tourism have encouraged many owners to list their buildings. But that was before the FEMA money was made available. An email from an unnamed spokesperson at the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing said Wednesday that purchasing and converting hotel rooms is one creative way to get people off the streets, but did not comment on whether it planned to use the FEMA reimbursements to do so. Jennifer Friedenbach, who's been a guest on the show maybe back in 2016, uh, executive director of the Coalition on Homelessness, expressed concern that the refund would not be earmarked for future projects around homelessness. We are deeply concerned that this money will be sim will simply be used to be sucked back into the city budget, she said. We feel very strongly that this fund that this is funding that is homeless dollars and was budgeted for unhoused people. All right, we'll post a link. Again, this is on the San Francisco Public Press website. I'm going to uh, play some more music for a bit and set up the next few articles. This is another, ooh, moving microphone. Uh, <laughs> Anti-war song by Bruce Cockburn called Burn.
Ah, beautiful. That was Sir Lancelot with Atomic Energy. And Sir Lancelot was a big inspiration to Harry Belafonte. And before that, we heard Bomb Repeat Bomb by Ted Leo and the Pharmacists. And before that, Burn by Bruce Cockburn. And we got some more news articles. Uh, oh, the police. Aye. So from the Examiner, San Francisco Examiner, written by Michael Barbara on February 24th, SF police return officer to patrol despite false testimony. A San Francisco police officer accused of fabricating a reason for arresting a man is back on patrol even after a federal judge tossed a case over his false testimony, the San Francisco Examiner has learned. Officer Nicholas M. Buckley was placed on desk duty while awaiting the outcome of an administrative investigation after U.S. District Judge Charles Breyer found his March 2016 testimony in a federal gun case was entirely contradicted by surveillance video. Buckley testified that a man named Brandon Simpson had his hands concealed as he walked away from an illegal dice game in the Tenderloin in December 2015, leading to his arrest. I don't know why a dice game would be illegal. Anyway, Ugh. 
uh, in t- December 2015, leading to his arrest for allegedly being a felon in possession of a firearm. But surveillance video recovered by the defense showed Simpson had his hands exposed and was even holding a water bottle, among other discrepancies. The revelation prompted Breyer to dismiss the gun charge against Simpson and direct the U.S. Attorney's Office to take appropriate action, saying he was not enraged but deeply saddened by the conduct. The worst thing in the world for any judge and any prosecutor is the conviction of an innocent person or the conviction of a person based upon perjured testimony because it goes to the very heart of a justice system, which to be successful must be accepted by the citizens or the population of any country, Breyer said at the time. And when that is brought into serious question, then the affront is to all of us. The case was sent to federal authorities in the Eastern District of of California for a criminal investigation into the potential perjury and to the San Francisco Police Department for administrative review. Then, last March, the SFPD transferred Buckley from his non-public contact position to Terraval Station. The department confirmed Wednesday. He was later transferred to Bayview Station, where he has been on patrol making arrests, collecting evidence, and taking incident reports since last October. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of California had closed its investigation into Buckley without bringing any charges against him, sources told the examiner. The results of the SFPD's administrative investigation have not been disclosed. Tony Montoya... Ugh. Excuse me. Oh, I thought I was going to burp, which would have been appropriate at this time, but nothing's coming out. All right. Uh, president of the San Francisco Police Officers Association said Buckley was... I'm not even going to fucking quote this guy because he's a fucking liar. Excuse me. Um, that's one reason I'm not working for NPR. I'm sure there are several others, but one is I can uh, call people fucking liars when they're liars. Okay. Buckley's return to the field could cause problems for any prosecuting agency seeking to pursue a criminal case based on his word alone. If Buckley is needed to take the witness stand, issues with his previous testimony could force prosecutors to dismiss a case or decline to file it altogether. Defense attorneys would otherwise be able to attack his credibility based on his prior conduct in federal court. Uh, There are lots of reasons why we might not be able to secure a conviction in a particular case, District Attorney Chesa Boudin said. We never want to be in a position where we have to dismiss a case we could otherwise prosecute because there's a dirty cop in the middle of it. As of late 2019, the SFPD had 123 officers on a confidential list of cops whose checkered pasts could... I love that it's called checkered pasts, as if some of these, their actions haven't just been fucking outright disgusting and harmful and have resulted in the deaths of people. Okay. But yes, checkered pasts could cause issues in court. That's 123 officers. Jesus. Um, Could cause issues in court, including one member of the command staff and eight commissioned officers, such as lieutenants and captains, the department said at one time, at that time. Last June, Budin rolled out a policy to address the issue by prohibiting his office from filing charges in any case that relies solely on the account of an officer with a known history of dishonesty or other types of misconduct. The policy is meant uh, to prevent defendants from being falsely accused. Buckley's reassignment also raises concerns about the extent to which the SFPD is holding officers accountable 
for alleged mis misconduct through its secretive internal affairs unit, which is not required to release information about police discipline in most cases under state law. Ellen Leonida, a former federal public defender who represented Simpson in the gun case, was stunned to learn that Buckley was back on duty. It's just beyond my comprehension that he hasn't been charged with a crime, much less that he's out on the street still interacting with citizens, said Leonida. It's just appalling that he's still allowed that he's allowed to still wear a badge. Leonida said Buckley's testimony went beyond exaggeration or misperception, and that the surveillance video was irrefutable evidence. Buckley intentionally lied. To prove perjury, prosecutors have to show a person knowingly made a false statement under oath. He just made up an entire set of events that never occurred, Leonida said. What exactly does one have to do to get fired from the San Francisco Police Department? If this isn't it, I just keep thinking about all the times that there wasn't video evidence. Buckley joined the SFPD in May 2013 and is one of, the, of two officers on the force bearing the same name. The other is a sergeant who is not related to the case. Department records show. He made $182,696, including benefits, as of 2019, according to the website Transparent California. Wow. Buckley's SFPOA provided attorney James Lassart did not respond to requests for comment by press time. Montoya, the police union head, said he supervised Buckley for a time at Mission Station before the Tenderloin incident and described... Um, again, I'm not going to read his fucking quote because it's... No. Okay, he, uh, um, more quotes from him. Okay, the U.S. Attorney offices, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of California, FBI Sacramento, which is believed to have conducted the criminal probe and SFPD, each declined to comment on the outcomes of their investigations. But in a statement, Police Chief Bill Scott said our internal discipline process holds officers accountable. Does it? That's my interjection there. Scott said, uh, Scott also said that independent authority Okay, there we go. Scott also said that, excuse me. Scott also said that independent authorities, including a criminal grand jury and the district attorney's office under former DA George Gascon, each reviewed Buckley's testimony. Uh, these allegations have been thoroughly reviewed by various agencies. And Scott stands by Buckley. Okay, blah blah blah. Uh, Moving down on the article. Okay. All right. Uh, the, the police watchdog can recommend a discipline to the chief or police commission, but cannot begin a dishonesty investigation under the city charter unless a complaint is filed or a case is referred by the SFPD, according to DPA Director Paul Henderson. Under California law, agencies like the DPA and SFPD also have only one year to seek discipline against an officer, which is, ugh, excuse me. <coughs> uh, if only it were uh, as easy to get rid of a corrupt officer as it was to sneeze. All right. Living down the article, and, uh, a lack of clarity on the outcome of Buckley's administrative investigation could feed into a broader conversation happening at the police commission where Commissioner Cindy Elias has called for SFPD internal affairs to be more transparent with its disciplinary cases. It's important to have transparency in all aspects of policing, including discipline, Elias said. 
having IA become more transparent is a good thing. So you can read the full article, including the parts I omitted, <laughs> um, at the SF Examiner. And again, this was written by Michael Barba. It came out on February 24th, and we'll also post a link to this on our website, weeklyrev.org. That's a good time to say, hey, um, you might not necessarily be enjoying what... Sometimes I listen to a lot of other podcasts, and uh, some folks do advertising. I don't do advertising here. I do it because uh, why? Uh, just not just doesn't really fit in with this. So if you are able to donate at all, this is a completely advertising-free show. Please do so. We have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. You can also find the link on our website at weeklyrev.org. Anywhere from a dollar a month would be greatly appreciated. Help spread the word. Thanks. All right. Next up, I believe we have another article also about the California lawmakers. This is from The Guardian from uh, San Levin, who's in Los Angeles, and this came out on February 24th. California lawmakers pushed to stop deportations and end jail transfers to ICE. State's controversial practice of coordinating with immigrant, uh, immigrants author immigration authorities has come under widespread scrutiny in recent months. California lawmakers are fighting to protect thousands of residents from deportation with new legislation that would stop state prisons and jails from handing over immigrants to U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. California's controversial practice of coordinating with ICE agents has received widespread scrutiny in past months, including after The Guardian revealed that the state had transferred two immigrant prisoners to ICE for deportation after they had served as incarcerated firefighters on the front lines and after they had completed their sentences. Kao Se Lee, 41, was scheduled to leave prison after 22 years behind bars in August, but on the day of his release, when his sister was waiting to take him home, California instead handed him over to immigration authorities. He remains in ICE custody in Louisiana. Bouchon Kiola, 39, was reported to ICE by California prison officials in October. Fuck all of these people. Not the immigrants, certainly, but fuck the uh, prison officials and ICE. Both men had served the state as firefighters while in prison, and both were threatened with deportation to Laos, a country their families had fled as refugees when they were young children. The two had been locked up since they were teenagers. Assemblymember Wendy Carrillo of Los Angeles and other lawmakers on Wednesday unveiled legislation that would ensure that immigrant community members eligible for release from state jails or prisons would not be sent to ICE, but instead would be able to reenter society and reunite with their families. Supporters of Assembly Bill 937, the Avoiding Inequality and Seeking Inclusion in Our Immigrant Neighbors Vision Act, say that the practice of transferring people from prison to ICE was a cruel form of double punishment that indefinitely separated people from their loved ones after they have served their time. If it wasn't for where they were born, these Californians would be able to return home, Creo said. California has no legal obligation to report prisoners to ICE, and despite intense backlash last year, Gavin Newsom, the state's Democratic governor, uh, has defended the policy because he's an idiot. Excuse me. It doesn't say that. Um, and allowed the voluntary transfers to continue. The transfers can affect undocumented people and legal permanent residents who lose their green cards once they are in ICE custody due to their criminal records. California has a sanctuary law, which means local law enforcement is not supposed to collaborate with U.S. immigration and has a mandate to shield immigrants from deportation threats. But the state has made an exception for local jails and prisons because they feel like acting like they're evil. 
again, that's my little comment there. The transfers are one of the key drivers of deportation in the state. The California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, CDCR, transferred an estimated 1,400 people from its custody to ICE last year, according to the Asian Law Caucus, a legal advocacy group supporting the bill. In 2018 and 2019, local jails sent more than 3,700 people to ICE. The practice has been especially concerning during the pandemic when ICE jails and CDCR prisons have both suffered massive and deadly COVID-19 outbreaks in their overcrowded facilities. Kiola, who suffered a near-death injury fighting wildfires last year, was freed from ICE custody in January and reunited with his family in the Bay Area for the first time in decades. But the threat of deportation still looms. I want to get on my feet and work and advocate and help people like myself, Kiola told The Guardian after his release, saying he was hoping to start working as a firefighter. We should all have the opportunity to have that American life. Hopefully, Newsom will stop turning over people like myself. On Wednesday, Kiola spoke at a news conference supporting the bill, urging the governor to also issue pardons to him and Celie, the other jailed firefighter sent to ICE, so that they could no longer be threatened with deportation due to their criminal records. At any moment, I could be arrested and deported to Laos, a country I have no ties to. Spokespeople for ICE and CDR, CDCR declined to comment. It seems like there is a uh, recurring theme here with the police and ICE and the corrections and quote-unquote correction, CDCR, they, it's like they know they're being fucking wrong. They know they're harming people. And they're like, yeah, we can't, no. Maybe talking about it. Uh, maybe that's too hard for them. Because then they can uh, recognize what they're doing is fucking wrong. Anyway, yeah, let's abolish ICE. Let's work to abolish jails. And build a, a world where folks are actually rehabilitated and people have what they need. And also let's stop bombing other countries so that there's not more refugees who are looking to seek a better life by having to escape violence. All right, but, you know, what do I know, right? Okay, so let's play some more music. And I do have another... Uh, anti-war song and then i'll be just playing some other music throughout the show this is a song by merle travis called no vacancy all along the road of life i roam looking for a place to call my home not a fancy mansion nor a bungalow for me but everywhere I go I seem to find Hanging on the door the same old sign And my heart beats slower when I read on the door No vacancy, no vacancy, no vacancy All along the line it's the same old sign waiting for me No vacancy, no vacancy and my heart beats slower when I read on the door, no vacancy. Not so long ago when the bullet screamed, many was the happy dream I dreamed of a little nest where I could rest when the world was free. Now 
the mighty war over there is won. Troubles and trials have just begun. Facing that terrible enemy sign, no vacancy. No vacancy, no vacancy. All along the line, it's the same old sign waiting for me. No vacancy, no vacancy. And my heart beats slower when I read on the door, no vacancy. If you live the life of ease, better take a moment on your knees and thank the Lord above for all his love, then think about me. Living in a world of greed and hate, hoping every day that the hand of fate will remove that sign that's hanging on the door, no vacancy, no vacancy, no vacancy. All along the line, it's the same old sign waiting for me. No vacancy, no vacancy. And my heart beats slower when I read on the door, no vacancy.
that's for you from the window you lost your shoe in the garden back in 1962 oh josephine if you only knew my heart is heavy all the day long the thoughts of Something wrong with me? Is it the world around? Do we keep on living, wishing we were something different? My worst enemy is right in front of me. My reflections in the mirror, I see them clearly. Every day I see a fake or a fake anatomy, trying to get the best of me. But all I But all I really need, I 
Okay, there we go. Had some issues here. That was Elias Bendix um, with a song. <laughs> um, that was called We Can Be No One But Us, and that was sent as a request. You can request music here too, uh, 415-550-0511, or shoot me an email at djrimer at gmail.com. We'll play your music uh, for artists who are starting out. Or even not starting out, but yeah, feel free to send over your requests. Used to be on Facebook a lot more, now not so much, and I'd ask for requests there, but you can also contact me other ways through Twitter as well, um, at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. Feel free to send in music for artists you'd like to hear. All right, before that, we also heard the song that I hadn't thought of for many years called Josephine, If You Only Knew by a band called Dylan in, in the Movies. Um, and... Uh, I remember listening to that song on repeat back in 2009, maybe, and I was like house sitting for someone, and there wasn't any heat. This was, in, I think, in Bushwick, in New York, and eating a lot of Maywa, which is a brand of vegan chicken nuggets, and a lot of chocolate peanut butter from Peanut Butter and Company, and listening to that song. I was pretty depressed, and uh, it was a good song. Anyway, just brought me back to those times. Before that, Merle Travis with No Vacancy. Got uh, the last article we shared was about ICE, and so I wanted to go into the next news story, which is also around that. And this is from the California Nurses. You can follow them on Twitter, at CAL Nurses, as reports surface of ICE officers threatening to intentionally expose asylum seekers to COVID-19 if they do not accept deportation. We lift up nurses' work, nurses', nurses', work to care and fight for asylum seekers. So here's a video. 
and um, I'll be reading the captions as we listen. As reports emerged of the dire conditions in ICE detention, they show some headlines. Nurses responded. Nurses marched on ICE facilities. Nurses rallied and protested all across the country. Nurses spoke out against the humanitarian and health crises caused by separating families, overcrowded detention facilities, inhumane conditions, and cruel treatment of people seeking asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border. And in 2019, the Registered Nurse Response Network, RNRN, a disaster relief project of National Nurses United, called for volunteers. RNRN deployed 20 teams of nurses to border shelters. To provide medical care to families seeking asylum. Nurses witnessed the health impacts of human rights abuses by federal agents and documented stories by sh shared by asylum seekers about their treatment in federal custody. National Nurses United published nurses' findings in a report. Today, mistreatment and COVID-19 are surging in ICE detention. According to the government's reporting, more than 8,000 detainees have been infected. Federal agents repeatedly acted with deliberate indifference towards the health and safety of detainees. That's a quote. Nurses will continue to care and fight for asylum seekers and to demand health care for all. Uh, and demand health care as a human right for all. So this is a video that I was uh, sharing the, the captions for and from the California nurses, and I will share a link on our website at weeklyrev.org. And, uh, yes, there's a bit more to get to. I did want to, um, how am I going to do this? Let's see. Um, let me, it's going to be a change in topic a little bit. So let me play another song and then we'll uh, get back to it. And this is a couple of tracks from it. There's apparently a Rubber Soul tribute album and Ted Leo, who we played earlier, is on it, as well as the band Low, whom I like. So play a couple songs and be back with some more information and action items.
He's a real nowhere man sitting in his nowhere land making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? Nowhere man, please listen. You don't know what you're missing. Nowhere man, the world is at your What he wants to see Nowhere man Can you see me At all Nowhere man Don't worry Take your time Don't hurry Leave it all To somebody else Lends you a hand Doesn't have A point of view not where he's going to Isn't he a bit like you and me Nowhere man, please listen You don't know what you're missing Nowhere man, the world is at your All right, that was interesting. A couple of Beatles covers from the Rubber, Rubber Soul tribute album. And next up, <sighs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here. So next up, and as an action item that I think a lot of folks can take, uh, this is from Media Matters. You can follow them on Twitter at MMFA. A typical household pays Fox News almost $2 per month, about $20 per year via their cable or satellite provider, regardless of whether they actually watch the channel. So this is a site that's called Unfox My Cable Box. Uh, yes, it's called unfoxmycablebox.com. We'll provide a link. Even if you never watch Fox News, uh, you're funding their programming. Hashtag Unfox My Cable Box. Tell your provider Unfox My Cable Box. I can keep on saying it. Stop paying the Fox News tax. Pay for cable or satellite TV. You're, you're subsidizing Fox News whether you watch it or not. Your, your cable or satellite TV provider pays a subscriber fee to carry Fox News. That cost is passed directly on to you. Every network charges cable and satellite providers a small fee per subscriber. 
The one for Fox News is extraordinarily high. A typical household pays Fox News ta- pays Fox News almost two dollars per month, about twenty dollars per year, by their cable or satellite provider, regardless of whether they actually watch the channel. In twenty twenty one, a wave of big contracts between Fox News and TV providers for subscriber fees are set to expire. These contracts make up six about sixty five percent of Fox News's uh up about sixty five percent of Fox News's subscriber fee revenue. I guess I'm getting a bit tired of talking. Uh, if we want to stop paying the Fox News tax, now is time to act. And uh, Fox News makes approximately $1.8 billion per year from hidden subscriber fees, twice as much as CNN and three times as much as MSNBC. The network's extra high fees, which make up most of its revenue, protect Fox News from the advertisers that are quickly abandoning it. They have a chart here. Fox News was able to get such high fees in part by leveraging its loyal audience to put pressure on the providers during negotiations while the rest of the 90 million cable and satellite customers sit quietly with 65% of Fox's subscriber fee revenue up for grabs in the next 20 months. It's time for that to change. The advertising industry has already taken big steps to reject Fox News. It's time that consumers were empowered to do the same. And if the advertising industry thinks that they don't like you, that's pretty bad because they're pretty much up for open for anything. So that is great. Fox News is a uniquely destructive force. You're forced to defund it. You're forced to fund it, even if you never watch it. Learn how. Unfox my cable box, etc. So they have a link here and more information. We'll, we'll we will uh, post it on our website. Oh yeah, I don't know why I'm. Uh, I guess it's it's a lot of information and a lot of really intense uh, things that are happening. It makes sense to be feeling a little bit overwhelmed by it, even though we do provide ways that folks can show up. And it's one fifteen. I'm going to share one more article and then I'm going to play a pre-recorded uh, show, piece of a show. Yeah, I'm getting tired. Okay, this is from Antifa International. You can follow them on Twitter at Antifa, I-N-T-L, who funds fascists. This is similar to the whole uh, China unsubscribe Fox News thing. Who funds fascists? Fascists like to trot out an old anti-Semitic trope by repeating lies about anti-fascism being funded by a secret cabal of Jewish billionaires. But where does the money come from to fund fascism? And this is a thread. Nigel Farage is backed by multimillionaire Aaron Banks. There's an article from The Guardian from 2019. And the headline, Aaron Banks gave 450,000 pounds funding to Nigel Farage after the Brexit vote. Faith Goldie's failed 2018 to become mayor of Toronto was backed mainly by a group of 20 of the wealthiest people in that city's sizable finance sector. They have an article for that too. Uh, Charlie Kirk's, who's oh so awful, uh, his international campaign to radicalize college campuses for right-wing bigotry is bankrolled by shipping magnate Richard Yulhane. Yulhane? Um, there's an article from medium.com. Richard, human punching bag, Spencer's sugar daddy, aside from his cotton plantation-funded trust fund, is multimillionaire heir and white supremacist blowhard William Reg... 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 Regnery. And there's an article from BuzzFeed. Spencer has also received six-figure sums from financial magnate Robert P. P. Rotella through his foundation, which also funds Charlie Kirk's Turning Point USA, Propaganda Outlet, and uh, several other white supremacist race eugenicist groups. 
Uh, Breitbart News and Steve Baron Harkonnen Bannon, the quote-unquote voice of the alt-right, has received billions of dollars in backing from billionaire Robert Mercer. And not to be outdone by her daddy, Rebecca Mercer is funding Parler. Uh, and there, then there's the multimillionaire and self-described Islamophobe Gavin McInnes, who, not content with just funding other white supremacist projects, started his own gang or prescribed terror group, according to Canada, of white supremacists, the Proud Boys. And then uh, this says, remember Stephen Tommy Robinson, uh, Yaxley Lennon? He received a posh 5,000 pound a month salary courtesy of U.S. tech billionaire Robert Shulman, plus at least three foundations financed by billionaires. Dutch Islamophobe Gert Wilders is bankrolled by billionaire Nina Rosenwald. She's been called the sugar mama of the anti-Muslim of anti-Muslim hate via the Gatestone Foundation. Decrepit billionaire August von Fink, yes, that's his real name, carries on his father's tradition of funding Nazis by making huge contributions to Germany's AFD. Most of the family fortune comes from stealing Jewish property during World War II, by the way. Von Fink is possibly is probably the most cartoonishly villainous on the list. Dude lives in an old castle. Here's a photo of his daddy with Hitler. <coughs> Excuse me. Remember Robert Belcurve Murray? He received close of half a million dollars for his eugenics research from the Lind and Harry Bradley Foundation. And then there's uh yeah. So then there's someone else has posted um, a PPC donor lists exposed personal information of far right activists from antihate.ca. And this is from Canada. Uh, Maxine Bernier, founder of far right PPC, Rick Boswick, Yellow Vests uh, Pegida, Ed Jamnisek, Northern Guard Pegida, Bernier employed Darika Horn, a founder of, Cal of Canadian Nationalist Party. The PBs claimed that they worked security for his event with Dave Rubin. So, and then there's just more here that folks have added to this thread. So we'll post a thread. Um, we'll post a thread. We'll post a link to the thread on our page, weeklyrev.org, um, sharing this information. All right. So I'm going to play some music, and then I believe... Uh, yeah, I am kind of get to a point where um, I feel like I'm done. And just, you know, for the show, it's it's a lot. I've spoken a lot as I don't have a pre-recorded interview today that I've done. But there is one from the public press I'll be sharing. And we'll play that after this uh, little, some music here. And this is a live version of Twilight Singers doing a song of theirs, The Killer, and their cover of uh, TV on the radio's Wolf Like Me.
Alright, and upon hearing that, I feel like just playing music for the rest of the show. It's been a lot to digest and sit with, so we'll be playing some more music. Uh, the next song I'll be playing is uh, from Sam Cooke, and I want to recommend the film One Night in Miami, which you can find, I believe it's on Amazon Prime. Highly recommend it. Um, Sam Cooke is one of the characters in the film, and this song is featured. It's just a beautiful, it's well-written, and but I'd play some more music for the rest of the show. And eh, I'm probably signing off now. I'm just going to play some music. For more information, please go to weeklyrev.org. You can donate to this, this show or to mutinyradio.fm directly. I hope everyone has a great week. right now. 
me the bell, I tinkle in the morning if I'd a bell, you know what I'm saying? Tinkle in the evening time. <laughs> All over this land, so I tinkle out that danger. I tinkle out a warning. And I tinkle out love between my brothers and my sisters. Lord.
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio, my friend. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny radio, my friend. You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. 